0: Getting close to the end of our study of the book of John, we are in the book of John, we are in the last chapter now of the book of John. John chapter 21, we're not going to finish the book tonight, but we are rounding close to home. And this has been a time in the discussion leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, through the crucifixion, after... We've been talking about how Jesus pointed us to a new kingdom. He pointed us to a new system of government. He pointed us to a new family, a family that comes through Him, a new economy, a new way of doing things. And John 21, there's a rich story. And it's about a new way of fishing. And it's a story that is connected to many other things that Jesus did. In the Gospels, with men, the largest group of which, and all his disciples, were fishermen. The largest job. There was a, there was a physician. Bible trivia. Don't answer if you're an adult. The physician was? Who was the physician? And the disciples? Gosh, the kids are, no one's getting a gold star right now. Dr. Luke. Okay. Too soft. I couldn't hear it. All right. So there were four fishermen and the disciples that we're sure of, and that's a lot of folks out of 12 in one profession. John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. This is a fun story. It's a fun story, and it is more fun if you are a person who likes fishing, if you're a person who's gone fishing, if you're a person who's ever sat for a few hours and caught nothing, if you've never done that. My my daughter has a very warped view of fishing. She went fishing and she caught a fish. She went fishing again and she caught another fish. She still has had experience and success in fishing. She's not experienced. Normal fishing, I've only been fishing I think with one of our congregants and he knew exactly where the fish were. I don't think it was a miracle, but Michael Dempster knows where you can pull bluegill out of the water on the river there. Fishing is often and exercise in patience, and I am not an excellent fisherman. There is a the guy who volunteers with Thrive who used to be in the professional bass fishing world. He was a really top-notch fisherman, and that guy, every time – today, I'm thankful that you're here – that guy, every single time that he went out, he caught fish. He was a professional fisherman a lot different. I, I will never forget the most miraculous, and that wasn't really an extra miracle, but the, the provision of fish for me that meant the most in my life was tied to a time that I was in Texas. I was at the invitation of a Baptist pastor in Texas, and there was a pastor from Mississippi who was there. And the pastor in Texas, it was his farm. It was out in rural Texas. And he said, oh, we got a great pond. You guys got to go out in the boat and go fishing. And the pastor from Mississippi had a much stronger accident than mine, and it made me feel very insecure. I felt very certain that he was going to go out there and catch all the fish, that I would forget how to tie lines from fishing. My dad is a godly and wonderful and amazing man. He's not a fisherman, not much of a fisherman. Not good at it, didn't teach me how to do it. Uh, the person who showed me how to do any of the fishing that I learned was my uncle, my mom's brother who also has a much stronger accent than my dad. And so in my mind, I just thought, this is going to be so embarrassing. And so I did something I don't usually do when I fish. I'm not a fatalist, but I kind of accept the fish as biting or not biting. I don't tend to ask for intervention. I just prayed when we got in that boat. God, please, let me catch a fish. God, please, I just really want to catch a fish. I mean, I just need a fish. Doesn't have to be big. Guys, I wasn't out there for 10 minutes, I caught a huge bass. And I was just like, thank you, Lord, because I didn't know if that pastor was actually good at fishing. I just knew I wasn't. And I knew that it was a blessing for me to be able to catch that fish. Peter's not that kind of guy. He's not a let me fish for fun kind of guy. Because we didn't eat that bass. I inquired before we went out, like, are we, are we cooking these? Are we cleaning them? I grew up learning, like, if you're fishing, my granddad, my uncle, all the people I went fishing with the most It's like, we're fishing food. (laughs) We're not fishing for fun. Well, this day we were doing catch and release, so my my bass might still be alive in Texas, I don't know. (laughs) But these guys were people who knew how to fish and did it professionally. It was their job. There weren't a lot of nights that they went out and caught nothing. Because if that happened over and over to them, they would not just starve because they didn't have fish, they'd starve because they didn't have any money. This was their job. They knew how to do it. They knew what they were doing. Not just one of them knew what they were doing. Simon Peter was a fisherman. But so were the other disciples, not all of the ones who were with them that we know were fishermen, but several of them we do know. That was their profession. They knew how to do it. And these men, all had experience. They had experience not just with fishing, but experience with Jesus and fish. The calling, early in Mark chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calling these fishermen and saying, Follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they threw down their nets. Guys, it's, it's hard, I mean, I think in our culture, because we're not professional fishermen, it's a little bit uh, strange to understand what all that meant. Throwing down your net and walking away, Jesus says, follow me, and does he stop? Nope. He keeps going. They threw their nets down and chased after him. What do you guys think happens to nets that are left there on the beach? Finders keepers existed in Bible times. <laughs> Okay? And that was the tools of the trade. That's what they needed. And they said, we're, we're going to follow him. We don't need to do this. We're going to follow Jesus. Now Jesus has appeared again, and they're fishing. It's, it is uh, argued by a bunch of people who were wrong <laughs> that uh, this other story in Luke chapter 5 is the same story. It's not, and I'm going to tell you why. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Guys, is that the same event? No. Why do I say that? Well, because I'm theologically conservative, and for 2,000 years the church understood they were different. No, it's for a much more obvious reason they're different stories <laughs> when one the nets are breaking and the other the nets are not breaking and one jesus is in the boat and the other jesus is not in the boat it involved the same people <gasps> doing the same task they were fishermen it's not that weird jesus was around them at their work but the reaction of simon was also different And Simon appears to have learned something. It is really easy to dog on Peter. There's so many times. Oh, look at Peter. He fell down in the water. He's the only one who got to walk on water for any period of time. He was always straining, ready to go, wanting to go, wanting to go. One of my good buddies, uh, who's been a mentor to me, had this little phrase that I love. He says, it's, it's better to tame a tiger than tickle a sloth. <laughs> it's pretty descriptive if you know those animals. Peter was a tiger. He was always going. Sometimes he went in the wrong direction. Sometimes he had to be held back. Sometimes he had to be reined in. But Peter was ready to go. When Jesus tells him in Luke, put the nets over to the other side, he yells at Jesus. There's an exclamation point in our Bibles when you look right there. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Verse 5, chapter 5. He's yelling at you. What is he doing? Well, he thought, ah, Jesus, your your background's kind of carpentry, and that's, that's great. But fishing is my deal. And just so you understand, like this area here, we know doesn't have fish. We've been fishing it. We've been fishing it the right way. We've been doing it with our strength, and we know what we're doing. The reason he repents after this happens is because he has thought to tell Jesus something, the one who controls all the fish in the ocean, the one who controls everything. He's trying to tell the creator, God, oh, this isn't going to work. And he realizes his error here in Luke 5. And apologize, and, and when he's apologizing, though, he's not apologizing as one who's walked with Jesus, who knows Jesus intimately. He's apologizing as one who is shocked at this turn of events. Guys, there's something in drama called a callback. It just means a thread, a remembrance. Very specifically, Jesus is calling back to mind for Peter this. He's about to commission him it's next Sunday, it's a new preview. He's about to commission him to feed the sheep, to take care of the church, to do the work of being a fisher of men, evangelist, but then what do you do when you get him? And he's going to tell him what to do. But this is a reminder to Peter, you have become, you have become a fisher of men. And when he tells him to do this, Jesus, this time when he tells him what to do, in John 21, The very next thing is they obey. Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. John, who's writing this, describing himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, Is the Lord? When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he got dressed to jump in the water. Does that, does that make a lot of sense? It does in the sense that he knew who Jesus was and he wanted to show up as fast as he could, faster than they could get the boat back. They didn't want to come to him in the toil and the sense that he was in that time. Our church has a dress code. and hey Guys, I get a lot of mileage out of this joke. Okay? I know I told this joke to Alex I think it was more than a courtesy laugh. I think he thought it was a little bit funny. This is what I tell people in Lonsdale when I invite them to church. say, our church has a dress code. You have to wear clothes. Nope. Sanders, thank you. I get a better reaction usually in Lonsdale than that was. That's okay, guys. (laughs) It's not that good of a joke, but I get a lot of mileage out of it. But here's the reason we do that. Guys, man looks on the outward appearance and God's looking on the heart. But Peter here... He knew this was Jesus, and he wanted to get himself ready to go. He took everything with him to go because he's ready to go from there to wherever Jesus says. And he was passionate about getting to Jesus as fast as possible. That's a beautiful picture for us. But there is uh, Satan is a judo expert. Satan is uh, tries to pull us from one extreme to another, and from one extreme to another. People can look at a story like this and say that they need to redouble in their human effort. And on the opposite extreme, people can look at a story like this and say, I don't need to do anything. I never need to do anything. Jesus provides everything. You know what? I'm going to sit down on my porch. I have a great quiet time. I'm just going to wait for the checks to roll on in. I'm claiming it. I'm claiming that promise. Every promise that you claim that you made up, that's not the way it works. Every promise that we have biblically is from God to and for us, and it's given to us by him, but it's for his will, not our own. It's not our will to be done. It's his will. So Jesus has another story in Matthew 17 about fish. You guys remember that story? It also involves Peter. A remarkable story about Peter in Matthew 17. Beginning in verse 24, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. I don't know if they were confused by that. Their their question was a bad one, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Does your teacher not pay the tax? Yes. Yes, he does not? Or yes, he pays the tax? That's in construction by the, by these Collectors, These tax collectors, they weren't English majors or Greek majors. He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. (laughs) Guys, that is a true story. That happened. There are like Aesop's fables where it's like to teach you a valuable lesson. Well, this was to teach Peter a lesson, but it also happened. Again, Peter's a professional fisherman, cleaned a lot of fish, Do you think it was pretty regular that he was like, well, you know, it's pretty, I mean, uh, every 10th fish I get like a piece of silver, but like every 100th there's this gold piece. And what I'm really hoping for is the special gold. No, fish don't go around eating coins. That's not normal. Who has all the treasure in all the world? Who's in control of everything? God is. And that's what he was teaching Peter through this time. Jesus' reappearance to the disciples here is to show them not an extreme where we do nothing and not the extreme of us doing things on our own. It is that what we are called to do is obey, is walk in obedience. And I think that in my own life, I can see that some of the areas where I have the highest competence in my flesh I fail the most. I fail the most because I try to do it. I try to take care of it. Lord, please uh, help with this other thing. I, I know I can't do that, but like I got this over here. I'm good right here. This just, you know how you made me, God. This is kind of my deal right here. I got this one. I fall flat on my face every single time I do that. Guys, I've been praying for God's will to be done for Thrive with fundraising, and specifically with certain things like, should we have a coffee shop? I think so. Well, when's that gonna happen? How's that gonna happen? And I've worked on renderings, drawings, pitches, explanations, paperwork, creating the right documents for someone to like it. It is possible, likely really, because of who the person is and that they follow through, that the coffee shop isn't going to be paid for by someone who called me and said, Can I do something for you guys? That's such the way that God's done stuff for this ministry, where well, it's not about me. And it wasn't because I did good work, it's because He wants something to happen. When He wants it to happen, it happens. Do you think that that was an extra special throw to the right that they made with that net? It wasn't at all, except it was in obedience. There was no extra effort, extra oomph on their part. It looked a lot like what they'd been doing all night. But now God had told them to do it. And that made all the difference. Our goal in life has to be to align ourselves with the will of God and to walk in obedience to bring him glory. To bring him glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is very well known And I think we quote often verse 7, and maybe not the rest. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Well, I'm less familiar with that part. Uh, is that? Are you sure that's the next verse? Yeah. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Guys, when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, he's telling you to put to death not just the misdeeds of the flesh, but the strengths of your flesh. Mm -hmm. The things that you think you can do on your own, you can't. The things that you think you have competence in, you need Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for us to say, Lord, thank you so much for showing up in this area where we know we're weak. Guys, get to know yourselves, your weaknesses, and your strengths, but recognize that. That you don't have any strengths Biblically, there's nothing that we can do That is good apart from Christ Nothing And if we're doing anything well It's because of him It's through his power The things that we think Well, I, okay, Lord I've I really I've given you all my weaknesses Guys, the, the bumper sticker God is my co-pilot Jesus is my co-pilot? I don't know It's heretical So I don't even remember what it says No, it's a, it's a terrible idea If he's your co pilot, get off the plane. Okay? He's in charge. He's the pilot. He's not riding along with us, cheering us on, helping us out a little bit when we're, you know, Jesus, you need, like, I I, I probably need you like three or four times today. But other than that, nap. Just take a nap. Take a rest, Lord. I've got this. If you ever think that you're wrong, every time you think that you're wrong, when I say if you ever, you do, I do. Peter is now going to learn something. Here's the amazing thing about this story. Has Peter learned from the time in Luke 5 to John 21? He absolutely has. If Peter is culpable in that story as we are today, he is not. Why not? Because although he had seen the Lord, Although he had been with him, although he had walked with him in the flesh, he did not yet have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit living within him. Mm -hmm. He's supposed to wait on that. That's to come. That does come. Jesus tells him in John, this is coming. I won't be able to send you the Helper until I've ascended. That's when it's going to happen. That's the book of Acts. We're not going straight into it. We've got something else coming up that's awesome for our church. But so I'll just Do it right now. In the book of Acts, Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit's power comes down, and Peter, who doesn't know... Bob, thank you. That scripture was perfect in worship. Peter, who doesn't know how to speak well, sees 3,000 people come to faith from a sermon in a day. That's the power of God. It's not the power of Peter. Peter wasn't a good speaker. And over and over and over, there's a pattern in Scripture where God takes people who know that they're weak, and because they know they're weak, he is glorified by using them. The economy of God doesn't look anything like our economy. Bread and fish, when there's more given, then there's less left over. The economy of God is such that when we are weak, he is strong. And we're always weak. We're always weak. So let's look to observe his strength in us when we walk in obedience. We know what he's called us to do. And guys, it is not the case. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited to say it's all his power, and it is. But it is not the case. Let, let me give you an example. This is This is... Satan is a judo expert. This is what I can see people doing sometimes. Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And then they took out their flute and started playing and said, fish, jump into my boat. Jump into my boat, fish. I don't know why this isn't working. Cause there are people who overly spiritualize things to the extent that they're like, I don't do anything. I'm just waiting on the Lord. OK, if God told you to wait, wait. If he didn't, then get to work. Mm. Go do what he's told you to do. And for all of us, that involves a great commission. Mm. I'm more of the kind of um, preach with your actions, if necessary, use words. Well, guys, when you're preaching, it's always necessary to use words. Mm. It's so weird, I've been mowing my neighbor's yard for eight years, and he still hasn't come to faith. Well, have you ever told him he's going to hell? uh, No, I'm more of like an actions kind of guy. We're called to share the good news of the gospel, and that requires talking. But do we do that in our own strength? Do we say, here I go. Today, five people are getting saved. I feel good about today. I drank some energy drinks. That's not how that works. Walk in obedience. Work. But do the work you're called to do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. It is so amazing to think that we get to be the blessed people you talk about at the end of John 20 who haven't seen you face to face, but who see you in our lives, who see you in our hearts, who know ourselves enough, who know our weaknesses enough that we know when it's you We know that we are living a new life that's impossible apart from you. God, help us to not forget any of our wickedness and our wretchedness and our rebellion. And when we see good, help us to always give you the glory and the praise. Lord, we want to follow you. We want to obey you. We want to do what you called us to do. Help us to write a blank check for that. Help us to listen and go wherever you've called us and do whatever you've told us to. God, in areas where we've toiled in our own strength, help us to recognize it. Help us to surrender it. Help us to put our strength aside. Help us to lay ourselves down before you. God, if there are areas where you've called us to do something, where you've told us to do something, and we're sitting on our hands, I pray that we'll quit waiting. I pray that we'll, with urgency, obey. You're on the move, and we want to follow you. We want to run to you. We want to swim to you. We want to go wherever you're going with urgency, because this life is short, and we're headed to eternity. Lord, give us strength and wisdom and discernment. And help us to always point everyone to the good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.